0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, a professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, uh, remotely broadcasting to you, uh, trying to, uh, preserve all the uh, decreased social interactions as we are dealing with the uh, uh, COVID-19 infection. And today's program is going to be a little bit different than what we normally have. I'm going to be uh, focusing on COVID-19, taking your calls, uh, the number to call if you have a question in particular to uh, our current coronavirus situation, uh, any kind of questions related to that for yourself or your family, you can call 1-877-MPB-RING, that's one 1-877- 877 or you can email us at remedy uh, at mpbonline.org. So interesting times that we're in, very serious situation, uh, one that we're doing the best we can uh, in the medical field to uh, adjust to constantly changing uh, data that we're getting in different uh, situations in different places. Uh, Now, I know that we've been uh, very busy at the University of Mississippi Medical Center trying to uh, as best we can to, um, to evaluate the situation and then uh, do the best we can in planning and helping out everybody in the state. Uh, so as you know, uh, COVID-19 originated in uh, Hubei Pro- uh, province in China in uh, Wuhan, which was a city of about 12 million back in November and December. Uh, it peaked there Uh, in late January and early February with the maximum cases. They've actually seen a decrease in cases since then, but resulted in uh, about 80,000 cases in China, the majority being from that province. And, of course, now you know that uh, all uh, countries, uh, pretty much every country uh, and region, has experienced a COVID-19 infection, including the U.S. Yesterday, West Virginia was the last state that reported Uh, a documented uh, COVID-19 case. So that brings all states and territories of at least uh, that are documented right now. And the total number of cases in the U.S. is approaching 5,000 individuals uh, that we know of. Um, Just a couple of information. We're going to try to go right to your calls in about another seven or eight minutes. But coronaviruses in general have been around for a, a long time. Uh, They were first described in the 1960s as one of the major causes of upper respiratory infections, and those would be things like the common cold. So that was known back in the 60s um, as we started to learn more about the viruses that caused that. About a third of common cold symptoms and uh, illnesses during the winter months can be caused by coronaviruses, Um, and uh, in adults, that's up to, you know, uh, maybe 20 to 50%, depending on the years, and, and some also in children. Uh, generally speaking, these types of viruses, they can occur any time of the year, but they're most common in winter months. Uh, and transmission, again, is through direct contact with infected individuals, particularly the secretions. Uh, these viruses are carried on uh, respiratory secretions, So that's a cough or cold, or it might even be somebody who's talking, if those secretions or large aerosolized droplets that occur, for instance, with sneezing or coughing, if another individual comes into contact with that and those droplets uh, uh, directly come into contact with your nasal surfaces or the mouth surfaces or your eyes, then uh, infection can occur in those individuals, You can also transmit this through respiratory droplets that end up on surfaces. So these would be hard surfaces. And then if another individual touches those surfaces and then touches their mouth, their nose, or their eyes in particular, they could become infected with it. Um, So that's the main points about this. Um, You know, clinical features, one of the the novel things about this type of coronavirus is that it's a little bit different. I think people have a little bit of a misunderstanding about that. Um, uh, Again, coronaviruses in general have been around for a long, long time as one of the major contributors to the common cold. Uh, But like the flu virus, they can mutate or change over times. And part of that reason is because these viruses uh, tend to be common, not only in humans, but in animals. And the coronaviruses are very common in birds and mammals. Uh, So this means that they run through a number of human cases. They can also sort of take residence back up in different animals, and it might change a little bit as it goes from host to host. A host is just the person or the animal who harbors that virus, who has the infection, uh, just like the flu, things can change over time. And this type of coronavirus, or COVID-19, uh, is particularly uh, easily transmitted. Uh, so it's, it's similar to the transmission of the flu, like we just discussed. But it also carries with it um, uh, a lot more Damage uh, in the way of uh, particularly uh, a pneumonia risk in the older individuals. So, anybody over the age of 65, particularly if they have chronic illnesses, so things like diabetes, hypertension, chronic lung disease, these would all be an increased risk in those individuals. And we know that for most people uh, who have this, they can have anywhere from mild symptoms, which might be a little bit of a cough, a fever uh, soreness in your body, sort of flu-like symptoms all the way to, to no symptoms. So about 80% of individuals will have those type of symptoms and recover fully. However, if you do have individuals that have, that are older, that have chronic medical conditions, that certainly is an increased risk for them. Um, you know, people are asking in clinic uh, Monday. You know, what's what's our overall risk? That's hard to say based on the data that we're getting from different countries. So, if you look at China, which again they have the largest amount of data just due to the sheer numbers of coronavirus patients that they've seen, the fatality rate is 2.3 percent. And again, those are individuals who may be older. If you look at Italy's data. Um, their fatality rate was about 5.8%. Uh, South Korea, 0.9%. You may say, why the wide variation? Well, if, if some of that may have to do with the average age of the patients in each of those countries that contracted it. For instance, in Italy, um, that 5.8% death rate from coronavirus, that, uh, the median age there of people who got it, sort of the average is 64 whereas in South Korea, the average age was 40. Um, The most common symptoms with COVID-19 are fever. That's about 99% of people have that. Fatigue, about 70%. uh, Dry cough, about 60%. Decreased appetite, 40%. And then muscle aches or body aches, about 35%. Then about 30% might have the sensation of shortness of breath. So you can see there's a lot of overlap with flu-like symptoms, and certainly we are still seeing flu. Uh, we're still seeing other respiratory viral conditions that can cause exactly the same symptoms, which is part of the problem with accurately diagnosing uh, COVID-19. Most people have, if they do have symptoms, uh, have a course uh, disease course that lasts anywhere from 36 to 48 hours, it can last up to a week of all the symptoms, but most of them will recover. Uh, full recovery, where you don't have any symptoms, would be about two weeks. Um, but we know there's about a 14-day course there where somebody could be continuing to transmit that virus. And early on, this is another one of the, the difficult things in, in identifying and treating COVID-19. Early on, in, after you're exposed, you could have zero symptoms but still be transmitting COVID-19 to other individuals. So we, we call sort of the incubation period, that's the period from when you're exposed to when you actually get the disease uh, is anywhere from four to five days on average, but it can be up to 14 days. So that's some of the reasoning behind or the major reasoning behind why a quarantined individual who might be exposed to someone who's had this or exhibiting symptoms would have to stay away from other people for 14 days. Um, there is testing for this, as you've probably heard in the news. Uh, unfortunately, right now, we, we are still on the upswing of the availability of these tests. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about later that, you know, you may or may not need to be tested, even if you have this. Um, just it, particularly right now, it really wouldn't change anything uh, about how, how we approach this illness. Uh, other than the lab testing that you've heard about, and there's limited places and limited ways that you can do it right now, there's a lot of work being done, including here at UMMC, about developing in-house testing. Uh, there are other changes in labs that are variable. Again, they're not specific to this COVID-19. Uh, and we're sort of in a learning phase about this, about some of the major uh, lab chain like a decreased uh, white blood cell count, an increase in certain uh, inflammatory factors uh, to sort of track and predict who is going to be at risk for some of the more severe complications. Uh, CT scanning of the lungs in particular, looking for pneumonia or acute respiratory distress syndrome is useful in some individuals, uh, but again, it's not diagnostic and This is Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and uh, trying to give you an update on COVID-19 and taking your calls in particular for COVID-19 this morning. The number to call if you have a question or comment is one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or if you'd like to email us, you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We're gonna go to Craig in Biloxi first. Uh, Good morning, Craig.
2: If someone survives the virus, will they have resistance or immunity and how long?
1: That's a great question, Craig. So uh, immunity can uh, be similar to what we see with the flu. So once somebody contracts COVID-19, what we know about other coronaviruses, now a lot of this is extrapolated from the other, the general family of these viruses. We know that you can, uh, you can develop immunity, but that immunity might wane over time. Sort of the same situation while you have, uh, where you have um, uh, the, the flu virus. So somebody would get the flu, they would uh, mount up an antibody response to that, um, but that immunity might decrease over, you know, over a couple of weeks or months. There have been uh, some instances where they've done testing with other coronaviruses, that um, you may, you know, develop that immunity, but you get reinfected. It might be a less severe course, Uh, but a lot of this is not definite. But what we know right now is if if you do develop this uh, COVID and you're over that, then probably at least in the same season that you're going to have at least some partial immunity to that where where you're not going to be affected as much. Now, if you look at how these things go year to year with the seasonality of it. And again, this is a little bit different because it's a pandemic, which means it is affecting simultaneously every inhabited part of the planet. Uh, So if you develop an immunity, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have that next year, which is why there's some, a a lot of interest in uh, developing a vaccine for this. So uh, best we can say is yes, you do develop an immunity afterwards that immunity might wane and just decrease over time, uh, but at least would provide you with presumably some increased protection if you got exposed again. Yeah, well, that's some good news. Yeah, I think so. And you know, it's it's hard to the the the, the hardest thing right now with COVID nineteen is predicting individually some of these questions. So as we're treating this, we're learning more and. Thankfully, you know, China is sending us a lot of information right now. There are a lot of uh, uh, trials going on with treatment, with vaccinations uh, that are being developed both there and here. Um, so um, it's just really hard to predict with certainty. Certainly we can extrapolate from what other viral illnesses of the coronaviruses uh, have done in the past. So, Greg, okay, thanks for that question. And uh, hopefully that, that, uh, that answers it.
0: All right, Doctor Jimmy. Next, we've got uh, Tom in Natchez. One second, we'll get Tom on the air.
2: I've been sick for about like two weeks, and, like flu symptoms, and I'm just wondering if I got the uh, whatever you call it.
1: Yeah, Tom, you you could. Now, here's the situation. So if not everybody needs to get tested. And one of the problem problems we're having right now, because we have decreased testing, if you come, if you have had COVID uh, and you've you're at sort of in that window in a two week window of when you could be uh, exposing other people to it, everybody that you're coming in contact with has the potential to get that. Um oh, damn it. So, I'll, I'll buy myself. So if, Nobody go, go is ahead. around me. And that's probably a good idea, you know, if you don't have anybody there. Now, it could be the flu. It could be another viral illness. At this point, I probably would say you probably don't need to be tested. You probably need to stay put until those symptoms resolve. Uh, I would definitely call your physician because a lot of the things and a lot of the ways that we're going to be able to treat both this and other chronic medical conditions and things that pop up with acute infections is going to be over the phone or through other ways of telehealth. Um, So I would definitely call them. But as far as, you know, getting seen, uh, you're exactly the kind of patient that I would say, hold up as much as you can away from people. You know, the the term social distancing is being used right now just to stay away from large groups of people, um, even smaller groups of people, probably if you can. Uh, and then anybody in your home, if, if there's, I don't know, you said, if you're away from everybody, that's fine. But if you're around other people in your home, they probably should hold out until you get well and to make sure they're not going to get sick and spread
2: this. I'm totally by myself.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and Tom, uh, unless you feel sick enough to where you think you would be admitted to the hospital like if you have severe shortness of breath to the point where you're having shortness of breath, just walking a couple of steps or at rest. If you're having chest pain, uh, if you're having uh, you know anything that you th- you would normally go to the emergency room to be checked out for, those are the kind of things that you would go get checked out. But if you don't, if you have flu-like symptoms, which are usually fever, uh, the myalgias, or just the body aches uh, and a cough, uh, those are the things I would just stay put where you are and sort of wait this out. Okay. All right, Tom, thanks for calling.
0: All right, Dr. Jimmy, next we have uh, Daryl M. Jackson.
1: All right, Daryl, thanks for calling this morning. Yeah. Thank you. My questions were basically answered, but I was about to ask or going to
2: ask if a person is feeling sick and they have to isolate themselves at home, what do you do in the process of just isolating yourself at home? I know there's something or some, some type of remedy or something you can take at home. I'll get off the phone and let right. you answer Sure.
1: Sure. So, so if you have, and again, 80% of people who have coronavirus uh, are going to have similar symptoms to the flu. Usually, most of those individuals, it's going to last anywhere from 36 to 48 hours, although it can last up to a week or more. Um, What you do for the flu, with the exception of taking some of the medications that we have, you can do the same things for a coronavirus infection. So, If you have fever, muscle aches or pains, and a cough, you can take over-the-counter cough suppressants, probably Robitussin. It's probably not going to do too much to help that. You can take Tylenol or ibuprofen for the fever and the muscle aches and pains unless you have another medical condition that would prevent you from doing that. Rest, uh, plenty of of fluids, Um, just good old home remedies for the common cold and flu is the best thing to do. There's not really any medications that you can take to make that better. And again, it may be another viral infection uh, that you have and it's not COVID-19. If you're at home, and there's a couple of different recommendations on this, so you can, you, there's a one from the World Health Organization, there's one from the Center for Disease Control or the CDC, and then there's our local, um, our our state health department recommendations. If you have those symptoms, it's recommended that you do stay home for two weeks. Again, 14 days, because that's the period of time, in particular for COVID-19, that you should stay there. So. If possible, you should isolate yourself from other people in your household. Now, knowing what we do, like I just mentioned about how this is transmitted, uh, close contact, particularly if it's less than six feet, has more of a chance of transmitting this. If you cough yourself, make sure you have some tissue that you can cover your mouth or your nose. If you cough or you sneeze, have that handy. Uh, Surfaces in your House, particularly hard surfaces, stainless steel, wood that you come into contact with that you touch on a regular basis, try to minimize that. But wipe those down. Uh, soapy water or detergent is just fine. It actually kills the virus uh, by destroying the envelope or the coating of the virus, which is a lipid bilayer. Uh, or you can use some other disinfectants. Um, a uh, you know bleach, a light bleach solution. You don't have to go out. I know a lot of people have rushed out to buy a lot of things from uh, from grocery stores or from pharmacies. You don't have to go overboard with that. Soap and water is probably one of our best deterrents for transmission of this. So uh, you don't have to have fancy gels or sprays or anything like that. Uh, you can just use soap and water. But those are the kind of things you want to do at home. Again, if it's possible to isolate yourself from other family members, Uh, until your symptoms uh, go away and it's at the end of that 14-day period. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions about COVID-19, giving you some uh, information on how you can stay safe, how you can deal with the illness as we uh, sort of ramp up uh, COVID-19 in the the uh, surrounding areas of Mississippi and really all over our nation uh, today. We're going to go to D, who's on the road.
0: Quick question.
1: Uh, yes, Dee, go thing? ahead.
0: Okay. Um, how long does the virus actually stay alive on, you know, in the bodily fluids or whatever, uh, on hard surfaces and, and or porous surfaces and my question is because my parents are over the age of 80 we've got them sequestered and everything but you know the daily mail comes and my dad loves to you know rip into the mail and he's not wearing gloves and I was wondering does the virus um you know I just wonder who's been handling the mail uh you know if someone did have the virus that they coughed on the envelopes etc is this something to be um concerned about
1: yeah, so so they've done a little bit of uh, a, a, that's a common question, Dee. So it's it, they've done a little bit of research on this. So it depends on the surface, as you can imagine. So um, the this and this comes out of the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, so it's a it was a, a study that was done by the National Institute of Health, the CDC, UCLA, and Princeton, and they found. Um, And this was with a similar coronavirus. So again, it's not with COVID-19, but it was the one that caused severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS. You may remember some years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, three hours in aerosols, uh, it was detectable. Four hours on copper services, if you don't do anything to clean it, up to 24 hours on cardboard, up to two to three days on plastic and stainless steel. So, you know, you can sort of extrapolate that information out. Here's what I would say in particular about the the specific circumstance you gave. If you're handling mail, if you're handling anything else somebody else is handling, you don't know where that came from. Make sure after you handle it, all you have to do is wash your hands. So if he wants to get the mail, that's fine. But he shouldn't put his after touching that, put his hands in his, on his face, uh, particularly the nose, the mouth, the eyes. Be really mindful of that. Uh, and just try to limit that as much as possible until he can wash his hands. Once he washes his hands, that should be fine. And, again, that's, that's vigorous washing, all hand surfaces, with soap and water for 20 seconds. Uh, you don't have Great. to put a timer on it or anything, but just keep in mind that it has to be sort of vigorous, and how you wash your hands is just as important as doing it at all. So I know a lot of kids and even uh, adults sometimes will just go and wash their hands, and it's really not that effective in the way that we're doing it. Does that answer that question for you?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate it so much. Thank you.
1: All right, D. Let's go to, is it Lee? I believe, Kevin? Yeah, Lee
0: is up next.
1: All right. Lee, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Yes,
2: sir. I hear people talk about compromises all the time, about elderly people, about people with heart conditions, people with other underlying medical conditions where does diabetes fit in with this and also these
1: patients with these
2: pacemakers and stuff for their heart and i'll hang up
1: let you talk about that sure yeah that's an excellent question so the question is you know the increased risk that you have if you have a chronic medical condition particularly things that can affect your lungs like chronic lung disease copd asthma um, emphysema, or if you have chronic, uh, conditions that either affect, uh, your whole body like diabetes. So diabetes isn't just about, uh, you know, how your pancreas works or how you get, uh, how insulin works in your body, but it really affects every body system in particular, your heart, uh, your kidneys, uh, chronic kidney disease is another one, whatever the cause uh, cardiovascular diseases. If you've had a stroke or a heart attack, those things would put you at risk. So, uh, Lee's right. All these things can put you at risk. If you are in one of those categories, then you, you need to take special precautions. And the biggest thing again, right now in limiting your exposure would be to stay away from people, particularly those who are sick. Um, I, if I was in those categories, I probably wouldn't go to regular events or groups that you might be going to. And this could include things like church. Uh, it could be maybe some social gatherings. Maybe you get together with a couple of people at the gym or over some coffee at a coffee shop. At least for right now, the most safest thing for you to do is to avoid those situations and certainly large groups of people. So anything over 10 right now is what our recommendations are, uh, is probably too many people. Uh, to To expose, uh, particularly somebody who is at higher risk. And then, I, you know, it's okay to ask those questions right now. If anybody's been sick, uh, particularly younger individuals, you might want to stay away from them. One of the, the problems with this is that COVID-19 in younger individuals has very, very mild symptoms uh, or no symptoms at all, and they could be spreading that virus to other people. So, those are some of the ways to stay, stay safe. Again, if you do develop fever, and that's anything over 100.4, shortness of breath, and a cough, you need to call first. Call your doctor to see how they want to evaluate you, particularly if you're at higher risk, uh, and if it might be beneficial for you to either be seen somewhere. I know a lot of places, including here, where we're, we're looking at maybe setting up some satellite clinics just for these symptoms and sending patients there instead of in the hospital. That would be a disaster to go ahead and introduce those people in a hospital setting uh, unless they really needed to be there. So those are some things that you can do, Lee, to, uh, to decrease your risk. But diabetes is one because it, uh, we, we know that people who have had this and had diabetes had a little bit higher risk. You can manage that risk. Most of the time, particularly with doing some of the things that I just mentioned. So, thanks for that call. That's that's a great question in a way that we can decrease transmission and, and decrease our risk.
0: Doctor Jimmy's answering your coronavirus questions on Southern Remedy this morning. If you have a question that you'd like Doctor Jimmy to tackle, call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Next up, we'll go to Willie in
1: Greenwood. Hey Willie, how you doing? didn't want to thank
2: the doctor for taking my call. I was diagnosed with sure. I was diagnosed with F as infection, but they gave me a shot and gave me twenty p take uh, antibiotics. It says that's not the same thing as uh, I mean uh, do I have to worry about that that's no sign of a virus is
1: Yeah, the, you know, this time of year there's a lot of overlapping illnesses and some of those can be things that we would treat with antibiotics if they're a bacterial cause. Uh, Certainly the flu, we're still seeing a lot of that, and we could treat that with things like Tamiflu, um, if it's appropriate, and uh, and a a host of other things. So I, I would say if you were evaluated and treated for those things, and in particular, if you've gotten well, I don't think or your symptoms are decreasing right now, I wouldn't really worry about it at this point. Again, I would still stay away from people who are sick. I'd still isolate yourself from other social gatherings as much as possible but if they treated you for something other than you know COVID-19 whether they did testing or not it's not going to change too much about what you do at this point so if you're getting better from that um, and you know I would again just sort of stay away from people certainly stay away from people who are sick practice good hand washing and social distancing.
2: Okay, but like I said, they, they, I was diagnosed with uh, the. They gave me the, the stuff put in my nose swab and said, no, well, you, you don't have the flu. So uh, we, that, we diagnosed with upper respiratory infection. And uh, so, and,
1: so, it, and, so and they So just so I'm infection. understanding what you're saying, so, so they did, yeah, the na- nasal swab is in particular for some of these viral infections. Did they test you in particular for COVID 19?
2: I don't know. No, they don't. think They said that I was diagnosed with upper respiratory infection, gave me a shot, and gave me uh, a twenty a penicillin uh, pills to take for for uh eight, for about eight days. They told me yeah. that, that, so,
1: that we so will go away. I would, yeah, I would I would finish out that course, and I don't think you need to do anything different at this point other than sort of stay away from people who were sick. If they didn't tell you to stay home for fourteen days, I probably wouldn't do that. So that nasal swab is not just a test for COVID-19. There's other viruses that we can test for. Influenza or flu is one. And then there's other things like respiratory syncytial virus or RSV. That's another one. So there's a lot of them that we're testing because if that's positive, that means that that's the most likely thing that is causing the infection and symptoms in you. And we don't need to treat you like you have COVID-19. That may change over time. Again, this is a a rapidly changing situation with this. But for right now, that's sort of the protocol. So I would say you probably don't need to do anything different than what they told you, Willie.
2: Okay. All right. Thank you you very much for taking my call.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Stay safe out there.
0: All right, Dr. Jimmy, next we've got uh, Lori from Gaucher.
1: Hi, Lori. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was just wondering if it might be possible to um, contract it from a mosquito.
1: No, that is, yeah, so that's a great question too. Certainly, you know, we've had our mosquito-borne illnesses in Mississippi. I was the uh, not-so-generous recipient of West Nile the first uh, summer that it came through. That's uh, certainly not anything I want to endure again, Uh, but, but this particular virus is not transmitted by mosquitoes, so uh, that's not a, a transmission route. What we're seeing now, of course, is human-to-human transmission. Uh, there have been, with coronaviruses in general, there have been transmissions or, or uh, cases where you had an animal, either with certain of them uh, uh, avian or birds and others are mammals. Bats are a big reservoir um, of, this, of this type of viruses. But right now, what we're seeing is human-to-human transmission so okay. it's those ways that those droplets of an infected individual are transmitted to somebody else uh I, you know and again there's some people have uh have asked about pets can they transmit it uh what we know right now is that they can't this particular um um uh, virus the covid-19 that's not something that you need to worry about you don't need to keep your dogs outside or anything like that um, but uh, mosquitoes not not a transmissible route of that. Certainly, hope uh, that that's that's a a, a great relief, uh, particularly as mosquito season ramps up. Of course, we have it all winter long. But thanks for asking that question, Lori. Is it, any other uh, issues about that that you were asking about? Uh,
0: no, I just I just wanted to say I I had to go to the store to get some food this morning, and people are not respecting um, you know the six foot distance. They just get real close and I just want to remind everybody that if you do have to go to the store to please keep your distance from people
1: absolutely and and again that six-foot distance is that's how far our respiratory droplets large respiratory droplets can travel and it can be while you're talking you're sneezing uh, you're coughing and when you cough or sneeze there's a high velocity of those that come out of your mouth and nose and you can't get away from somebody fast enough. So if you're in that six mm-hmm. foot radius of them, uh, you're going to probably be exposed to them. So, so everybody's spread out. Um, I understand there's a lot of crowding and, and a lot of things like that. There is no, no need to panic to the point where you're rushing to get things. And again, a lot of the, the things that we're rushing to get at stores are, aren't really that needed. In other words, you don't have to get all of the disinfectants. You don't have to get all the toilet paper. Uh, those are things that you can sort of space out the same way you would on a day-to-day basis. So I, you know, uh, I, I'm a huge, uh, uh, supporter of our autonomy in this country, our, our freedom to make choices for ourselves, but I'm also, uh, a staunch, uh, staunchly uh, um, independent person about how we, we uh, do our day-to-day things. And w- an interesting point, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about some of the disasters and things that we've been faced with in this day. Katrina, uh, certainly other diseases that come through, uh, thinking about 9-11 and the responses from national disasters, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes. One of the best things about Mississippians is when we're faced with challenges, we think about other people. We're one of the most generous people in the nation, and we do things to sacrifice certain things that we normally have as privileges and freedoms to protect others. This is an excellent time to rise to that occasion as Mississippians where we can really sacrifice what we're doing, our normal ways that we live, normal ways that we work, and uh, in order to uh, to really combat this. Our enemies are not people there it's a virus and there are there are really good ways that we can address that so Lori, I'm glad you brought that up too so everybody needs to spread out in those social situations where everybody's together give people space be patient about that be respectful of other people as we try to decrease the spread of this I'm dr. Jimmy Stewart thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart talking to you this morning and uh, answering your questions about COVID nineteen. We're going to go to Edward, who's been waiting. Uh, good morning, Edward.
0: Good morning. How you How you
1: doing today? Good. What's your question?
0: All right. You answered one. I can Sitting in the backyard, I can't get it.
1: Uh, as long as you okay, so you could potentially, but there's probably less. particularly if you're not around other people. You know, I was thinking about that yesterday. I've been, my normal routes on UMMC's campus, I've adjusted those so I'm outside more uh, with just that kind of thinking that I'm going to be isolated away from people. I'm not going to touch some of the surfaces like handrails or other hard surfaces where somebody else who might be infected is going to touch. Certainly I would try not to do that inside the building, but door handles, all those things, Uh, You have to think about so I wouldn't say you're totally there's no risk, but if nobody's infected around you You're by yourself and you're out in your backyard. Certainly it is great weather right now Uh, As long as you can tolerate the high pollen counts. You're probably good to go
0: On hand sanitizer uh, I made some hand sanitizer out of 90% Alcohol two-thirds and one-third aloe vera from a either of an article or a TV show is that effective?
1: Yeah, that's effective. But again, Edward, uh, it's, you know, soap and water does just fine. Uh, it's yeah. the, 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 you know, that's, that's fine to do too, as long as you do it appropriately for 20, 20, seconds. And that's, you know, people are like, I can't find any of this stuff. You don't need it. Like if you have soap at home, just use that. But the, yeah, One that gel question. should be fine.
0: One more quick question. I have sure. a painter's respirator with a one-way, one-way valve, uh, Is that good enough to stop? It'll stop liquids and vapors. Is that good enough to go shopping with?
1: Um, I would say probably it it might not be um, just because you have to have a certain type. And, 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 you know, it's not recommended for anybody, even just a regular surgical mask. That's not going to protect you from getting this from somebody else if you're exposed. So. It's not recommended, you know, the distance is probably the more important thing there. Again, this is not something that hangs around in the air for long periods of time, say like chickenpox or measles or some other infections do. do. But it's something that has to be on those respiratory droplets, and that about, that's about a six-foot radius. So I probably wouldn't do that. It's probably not going to decrease your risk significantly by doing that.
0: All right, Dr. Jimmy, next up we've got Billy in Flora.
1: Hey, Billy, how are
2: you doing? How you doing? I'm doing fine. I want to ask you a question real quick. Like, as the season gets hotter, will that decrease the tenacity of that virus?
1: So, yeah, temperature, and you probably heard this in, in different settings. You know, a lot of people say, well, if it's uh, if this is something that we normally get in the wintertime, once we get warmer weather, that's going to kill the virus. It's going to, you know, cause it to not be there as much. It's really not a, a lot of science behind that. Uh, Generally speaking, the winter months are when coronaviruses are more common, but you can see this all year long. And if you think about flu and how flu has been extended over the years, particularly since we have worldwide travel, it's easier to transmit these things. Um, There is coronavirus that's going to be around for a longer period of time. So just because we're hitting summer months or warmer weather doesn't necessarily mean we can... Uh, you know, uh, decrease our our methods and sort of rest uh, assured that it's going to go away. We still need to be doing the things until we have surveillance of it through testing. And increased testing is ramping up right now that, you know, this is going uh, down in in the prevalence or the frequency of it. So Mm. uh, I I wouldn't necessarily just, you know, hang my hat on warmer uh, weather. Uh, uh, Certainly it's not going to decrease, it's not going to kill the virus or anything like that.
2: Okay. That's what I wanted. I appreciate it.
1: All
0: right. All right, Dr. Jimmy, we got a couple of minutes left, and we're going to end up with uh, Joan, who's called in from Starkville.
1: Hi, Joan. How are you? Very good. Quick question. I'm the grandma, and I would like to send some cookies to my
2: grandson, who's cloistered in Jackson with very high tendency for allergies and that kind of thing. After you talked about mail coming and perhaps who handled the mail, is it? practical to send cookies to the grandkids
1: that let them know i'm thinking of that. yeah I, I think that's okay again at the times that you're likely to to you know in contract this from infected surfaces would be if you're putting your fingers in your mouth and kids are going to do that right so making sure they're washing their hands before they handle food and after they handle food so that they don't transmit it to somewhere else I think that's probably fine. I think you're safe sending those cookies. Uh, you know, just make sure on their end that they're doing that. And on your end uh, that you're doing it, too. I think that's probably OK. OK, thank
0: you.
1: All right, Joan. All right, Kevin, does that uh, is that sort of close out our phone calls.
0: Yeah, those are the ones that we had. We got about a minute left. Dr. Jimmy, I, from what I'm hearing and what you just said, one of our uh, previous callers there is, you know, soap and water. That I, I, what I'm hearing is that's one of the best things to do is just to make sure uh, that you're, you, you know, you're always washing your hands frequently throughout the day.
1: Oh, absolutely. So anytime, particularly if you're handling surfaces, if you're handling food products before and after, wash your hands. Soap and water is certainly fine. Social distancing, decrease the amount of contact that you have with others, either through that six foot uh, distance between you and somebody else. And certainly don't congregate together in large groups. Uh, One other thing that we need is blood donation right now. Our blood products statewide are down uh, tremendously to critical levels. We've got a big blood drive going on here. That's a safe way. Just practice, again, those same kind of things. There's going to be remote locations that you can donate blood through mississippi blood services Uh, and another thing is this is going to be very isolating for a lot of people make sure that you're connecting with others not physically but reach out to them phone those people that you know who are older who are by themselves this can be incredibly a a a severe time of depression for them Uh, connect with other people and if you need information there's certainly a lot of bad information out there, There's a lot of good information. As we mentioned before on the program, go to mpbonline.org. There are links there, or you can go directly to uh, the CDC website. That's cdc.gov, NIH, that's the National Institute of Health.gov, or the Mississippi State Department of Health.